You're listening to the What Do You Actually Do podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an inspiring interview, a useful tip or encouraging message to help you find your place in the professional world. Hello and welcome to this episode of What Do You Actually Do? My name's Kate Morris and I'll be your host today. In today's episode, we'll be talking about working in speech and language therapy. Today, we're joined by Jess Foley, who works as a speech and language therapist with both the NHS and a charity supporting people with Down syndrome. So, Jess, what do you actually do? Yeah, so thank you so much for having me on this podcast to talk about um, my job. So, yeah, I'm a specialist speech and language therapist in an intensive support team for adults with learning disabilities. So I work in the NHS as part of a, a multidisciplinary team with nurses and um, occupational therapists and psychologists and psychiatrists. And my team, we work with adults with learning disabilities who are going through a bit of a tough time um, and they might have hit a bit of a crisis in their life, really. And my team, we have sort of two aims. The first aim is to prevent an avoidable admission to hospital under the Mental Health Act, because we know that when people with a learning disability go into hospital under the Mental Health Act, they tend to have poorer outcomes. Right. So and work to prevent that as much as possible. And then the other key aim of our team is trying to work with people so they don't have to move out of their home. So we try and prevent what we call placement breakdown. And then where I kind of slot into all of that is I'm the only speech and language therapist in the team. So I have responsibility for the communication needs of all the patients on our caseload. Um, And it differs for each patient. It's very, very different. But kind of overall, my role is to promote and facilitate effective functional communication for all our patients. So, for example, if we had a patient who um, they were seeing an increase in behaviours and staff weren't sure if they could support anymore, it's kind of my job to look at that behaviour and think, what is that person trying to communicate to us? Are they trying to communicate that they're in pain, but they're not able to say that through their words? Are they trying to communicate that they're feeling really sad? Maybe their favourite member of staff has left. Um, And then trying to work with the staff in the setting to support them to be able to support the person to communicate more effectively, in a nutshell. (laughs) That's really interesting. So I hadn't kind of thought about the speech and language therapy in the context of a whole kind of suite of care for somebody and how if they can't communicate that could have a massive impact on their mental health and their well-being and their safety and all of these other things. Absolutely yeah so another part of my job um, is to support patients to understand what's happening so Mm -hmm. if they're going through a really difficult period in their life and they have difficulties understanding language anyway, if they're going through a a bit of a a crisis, that level of understanding and the ability to understand normally decreases. So it's my part of my role is to go in and try to support them to understand what's happening. So the psychiatrist might have prescribed them a new um, medication to try and help with their mental health. It's my job to go and try and explain to the patient in a way that they can understand what that medication is, why it's important that they take it, and what might happen if they don't take it. 
Um, and that can be creating easy read letters for the patient or going to visit and taking out symbols or photos or pictures and trying to, to support that understanding. That's interesting. So it's also about you communicating with the individual as well as helping them to communicate with you. Yes, exactly. It's a two way street. So what like in terms of actual practical tasks then? So you say you're trying to prevent people from going into hospital and kind of these outcomes and stuff. Like what do you do? Are you teaching people? How like is it like, you know, with a physiotherapist might help someone exercise muscles in their body to sort of get movement back is this sort of exercises you're doing with people is it increasing their vocabulary what sort of things do you do yeah so it's it's quite varied so part of the role is to um, assess somebody's um, communication needs so we have a, a range of different assessment tools that I will take out with me and use with the patient so it's basically looking at different pictures and asking questions about different pictures to try and get an idea of where their level of communication is at and then there's different kind of evidence-based interventions that we might offer somebody um, to try and promote functional communication with others to try and reduce isolation Um, so that can look like trying to set up social groups within a supported living environment Um, another part like you say is using symbols and signs so um, I create quite a lot of resources so there's quite a lot of resource making and then taking those resources out to the person's setting and helping staff to be able to understand how to use those resources and those symbols and um, with the patient. So yeah, quite creative as well as part of, yeah, there's quite a creative part of the role. So you've had an interesting career path because you did a degree in French and Hispanic studies and did a number of sort of teaching related jobs after graduation and went on to complete a PGCE in languages. But then you made a career change and undertook a degree in speech and language therapy. So what was your starting point and where did your interest in speech and language therapy come from? Yeah, I took a very sort of wandering path to this profession. So after my French and Spanish degree, um, I was a teaching assistant for a year and I absolutely loved it. Um, And I thought kind of teaching was was the route to go down. Um, but I kind of soon realised actually teaching wasn't my passion. And what I enjoyed most about the um, teaching assistant role was that one-on-one um, relationship that I was able to build with people to try and improve their life, really. Um, and it was just by chance I had a friend from um, my first degree and he texted me one day and he said, you've got to look into speech and language therapy. I think you'd absolutely love it um, because he was he was studying to be a speech and language therapist at the time. And I was like, what is speech and language therapy? I've never, it never crossed my path before. I wasn't aware of it at all. Um, So I Googled it and I was like, oh yeah, this sounds like it's up my street. And then I did a bit more reading and I was like, absolutely a hundred percent. This is the job for me really. Um, But the kind of experience I gained through teaching, I think was invaluable in helping me secure a place on on the speech and language therapy course because I had lots of experience of sort of reflective practice working with different professionals working with children who might have speech and language therapy needs in the classroom so although it was sort of a long route to the 
um, career at the end of it, kind of the teaching aspect, I think, really helped me to get there in the end. Yeah. And when you were speaking earlier about creating resources and adapting your communication, facilitating others learning, training other members of staff as well. Yeah. Does really link well with those skills that you would have been developing as a teacher. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And kind of the PGC that I did at York was great kind of like bedrock for the skills that I, I still use those skills today. Like you say, when I'm delivering training to staff. Um, all the skills that I learned during my teaching are so, so useful. And I, I use them almost on a daily basis now. Um, so, yeah, there's lots of different kind of elements to my job role. Um, but definitely training and teaching staff is is one of them. So it's lucky your friend thought of you. <laughs> so lucky. <laughs> I would never have I would never have heard of it, really. I would have never known about it. I think it's pretty common though like we've all heard of being a teacher and some other sort of core professions and actually sometimes you've just got to get started with something to then learn about other areas and also it sounds like it was a useful experience for you to learn and refine your ideas about what you did and didn't enjoy so you knew there was something that you enjoyed about helping people supporting teaching but actually it was that one-to-one and pastoral stuff rather than necessarily the group work and all of those kind of elements of it so I think sometimes you've got to try stuff out to then understand yourself and what the options are better absolutely yeah because I I love being a teaching assistant but like you say it was only when I'd kind of was sort of six months into teaching and I was like I'm not loving this like I loved my last job what's going wrong here and then I was like okay it's not that I'm like super passionate about the subject that I'm teaching It's that I'm super passionate about trying to help people. And I wanted more of that element than I did kind of the teaching the French and Spanish. So yeah, it's, it was useful because it showed me kind of what, what I wanted more of mm. um, and what I kind of wanted to steer away from in a way. So you could have done either a master's or another undergrad degree in uh, speech and language therapy. What made you choose to do another undergrad? Yeah, so I actually did get onto a master's, (laughs) Um, but that would have involved moving down to London. And at the time, I didn't have kind of the funds to do it. Um, And my poor parents, bless them, let me move back in with them when I said I've got this great idea I want to leave teaching and I want to be a speech and language therapist (laughs) I said okay right yeah you can move back in Um, and Leeds was the nearest university um, to where my parents were and luckily they had an undergrad course so I applied um, to the undergrad course just sort of by convenience really but then when I looked into it more the undergrad course gave much more time for placement um, and kind of exploring different areas of speech and language therapy. Um, And that really appealed to me as well, being able to have lots of different placement experiences. Leeds Leeds Met now does run a master's programme, which wasn't available when I trained. So when I was looking and I was applying for speech and language courses, um, Leeds Met only ran an undergrad course, but they now do run a master's which I think is great um, that we've got a university kind of nearer to York that offers both the master's level and the undergrad level for people wanting to to get into the career. And it's they're both funded, right? 
I would have to do my research. <laughs> I had a look and yeah. it looked like most of them are funded through, well, at the moment through NHS bursaries and things. So yeah. I think that's another important point. If you're doing a medical related degree, sometimes there is funding, but I assume obviously your cost of living, et cetera. That's why you move back in with your parents. Yeah. So I got a slight, um, when I was training a few years ago now, there was a slight um kind of cost of living like a birth available like a bursary available through NHS but it was very minimal it was it, it wasn't a lot which is why I didn't move to London to do the masters because it wouldn't have covered e- even rent so it wasn't a lot but I'm sure because if it was my first undergrad I would have been able to apply through student finance for the full whack the full student finance maintenance loan all of that um, but because it was my second undergrad degree, I, I didn't have access to that. We'll be putting links to where people can research this information and get the latest. It's quite complicated and it changes, doesn't yeah. it? Who's in government and what's going on? So. Yeah, they all like to play around with it. Um, all right. So you've you mentioned like loads of skills from teaching that have been useful. What other kind of personal strengths or qualities would you say you need to have to be both sort of happy and successful as a speech and language therapist? Because it sounds really multifaceted role. Yeah, it's, it is a very, very varied profession. And I think that's one of the absolute strengths of the profession is that it is so varied. Um, so we've got speech and language therapists who are working with premature tiny babies on neonatal units helping them with their eating and in swallowing. And then we've got therapists who are working kind of throughout the lifespan up to kind of elderly patients, helping them with their eating, drinking, swallowing and communication as well. And um, I think the strengths and, and qualities is the same um, for whatever population you're working with. I think you have to have empathy and you have to be able to have kindness and compassion towards your patients. That's, they're the kind of the real key values and qualities that you need to have you need to be passionate about communication that's that's really key um and or helping people with their swallowing so it's kind of um a forgotten part of our our profession really because it's not in our job title and but lots and lots of speech and language therapists work with patients who have um, dysphagia which is difficulties with eating drinking and swallowing so yeah a passion for communication and or swallowing is is key Um, and I think being able to be resilient is really really important and to be happy at work I think you need to have a certain amount of resilience and you know being realistic we're working in the NHS and it's a climate that's out of our control um, we're working under enormous pressure um, with limited resources and you have to be able to have a certain amount of resilience at work to be able to cope with some some difficult situations and you will be working with patients who are you know going through a tough time and there might be some sad situations that come up at work so that that element of resilience is really key um, and also knowing when to turn off. So when you know when you come home and, and you shut the door, that's it, work's finished and now you're focused on home life. That's also really important. That's interesting, your point around resilience there. So it sounds like it's 
resilience actually within the context of your work so the employment context and the kind of challenges that come with that and government funding as we were just saying but Mm. also resilience for the actual nature of the work so the patients that you're dealing with and I guess for you if you are as you say seeing sad situations or people struggling or having difficult time that could really be very upsetting so it's learning how to to cope with that and as you say be able to shut the door on it when you when you get home. Yeah and um, I work for a great organisation I think most of the NHS trusts they they have um, an excellent offer in terms of helping staff well-being I can access loads of different courses and they put on lots of different kind of well-being events for us so the support is there within the NHS you just need to know when you need to access it Um, and yeah some of the work is tough but the teamwork within the NHS or, or my experience of the teamwork within the NHS has been absolutely amazing and the support that you get from your colleagues is second to none and it's invaluable in in supporting you through those difficult situations but you never face it alone really there's always somebody that you can turn to and talk to there's always support that you can access but you know you need to have a certain amount of personal resilience to be able to get through it. So thinking about that, then, what would you say is the sort of the thing that you love most about the work and then the worst aspect of the role? What I love most about the work is when you get a good outcome for a patient. It's it's just an incredible feeling. So if we manage to kind of secure somebody's home or secure somebody's placement so they're not having to move out, and that we're able to kind of improve that situation and they're able to kind of move on from this difficult period and engage back into their life again is just unbelievably rewarding. Um, and that kind of keeps you going. It's, it's just incredible. The most difficult part of my work probably is working within the political landscape that we're in at the moment, you're working with a limited number of resources. And I'm often working with colleagues in adult care and the situation in adult care is extremely difficult at the moment. And you're trying to work to get the best outcomes possible for your patients. Um, But sometimes when the options just aren't there for them, that can be extremely frustrating. Yeah, it must be. So thinking about the future then, what do you think the sort of key challenges will be for the speech and language therapy sector over the next few years? Is it just this continuation of lack of government funding and the challenges that brings? Or is there anything else that would be useful for students to think about, perhaps research or anticipate if they want to to break into this sector? Yeah, so I think, like I touched on earlier, um, speech and language sector is so varied. So like I said, we've got speech and language therapists who are working with premature babies. We've got speech and language therapists who are working in school settings with children with developmental language disorder and autism. We've got therapists who are doing amazing work in prisons to improve the outcomes of um, the outcomes for prisoners. We've got therapists who are working with um, homelessness projects to support people who are homeless. And each Each sector, I think, is going to have its different challenges over the next few years. In my sector, so learning disabilities, I think 
the challenge that we've we've been working on but is still going to continue is trying to reduce health inequalities for people with a learning disability so people with so a woman with a learning disability dies 18 years earlier than women without a learning disability and a man with a learning disability on average dies about 14 years earlier than a man without a learning disability um, so there's still a lot of work that's needed to be done to try and reduce those inequalities and speech and language therapy is a key part of that communication and um, raising people's awareness around communication is key to that. In terms of kind of thinking about the paediatric setting, I know that there's been some research that's come out this week um, by the BBC, just kind of on the impact of COVID. So the number of five and six-year-olds who need speech and language therapy has risen in England by 10% in the past year. So I think we're only just starting to see kind of the impact that COVID is having on our children. And that's going to be huge over the next few years for the profession to have to try and cope with that increase in demand. So with the different specialisms, is that something that you pick when you're training or is it something that you kind of you apply for your first job and then you continue on that path? Or is it quite easy to change lane and like flip between the different specialisms? How how does that side of it work? Yeah, so the speech and language therapy degree, um, you, you qualify to kind of work in any setting. Lise Beckett, when I was training, we got um, an option to kind of put down what our final placement, what you wanted, what setting you wanted to be in your final placement. And that was kind of them trying to sort of steer you kind of what would you prefer, which placement setting would be good for your final placement so that you can then go and apply for a job in that sector. Um, the first job you get is you're at a band five level and that's normally kind of even though you're in a specialism it's normally quite generalized and then you normally work at a band five level for a couple of years and after doing sort of a generalist role you then apply for a band six role which is the level up and that's that's when you become more of a specialist in a certain area and that's just based on your interests or what's available at that time yeah, absolutely. Based on what you're interested in. Um, if you had, when I was training, I was dead set, I want to work with children. And then I had a fantastic placement in an adults with learning disability setting. And I was that completely changed my mind. And I was like, right, that's it. I want to work with adults with learning disabilities now. And um, so it's just kind of what you're interested in as, as the course progresses, really, what sort of catches your eye and you think, yeah, that's the area for me. Could you switch? Could you, like, if you decided I actually want to work with children again now, could you apply for those specialist roles within sort of paediatrics and that kind of thing? It's not as easy to once you get in, once you've applied for your sort of band six role, band seven role, you're kind of then sort of set on that journey with that sector. But that's not to say that you can't. I've known therapists who were working with adults who'd had a stroke for quite a long time and they decided that they wanted to change and they wanted to work with children and they did that um so it's not common normally people once they've chosen their area of specialism they sort of stick within that but it is definitely possible to change between but it sounds like the undergrad or masters are a good place to sort of get those placements and test it out and find out what you enjoy doing the most 
Exactly. And on your course, you will have a range of placements. So you'll have placements in lots of different settings. And exactly like you said, that's the perfect opportunity to test out what you like, what you don't like. And if there are any students listening, I would say go into every placement with a complete open mind because you, you just don't know. You might absolutely fall in love with it. And that might be the area that you, you really want to go down. So for students who aren't studying speech language therapy, they might be doing a different sort of linguistics degree or a different subject like yourself. Yeah. Any tips for them for getting experience because I know with healthcare stuff it can be really difficult to get actual work experience to test it out is there anything that they can do to give themselves a taster of what it might be like develop relevant skills help them kind of um, stand out in applications yeah so it is quite difficult to get work experience but I would say call around your local speech and language therapy departments sometimes departments will offer half a day experience a day experience um, so yeah call around kind of your local hospitals and see if there's anything that they can offer you um, and then I would look at, as well at the charity sector so are there any local charities that are working with um, people with communication difficulties maybe supporting people after they've had a stroke is there any volunteering that you could do with those sorts of charities that would enhance your application but it sounds like being proactive about it rather than just hoping to see an advert for a placement oh, absolutely I rang six hospitals <laughs> I was determined um, and I just kept ringing until somebody would offer me half a day yeah but absolutely be proactive because um yeah they're not going to advertise it you need to you need to be able to show that you want to go after it well that's brilliant um so for more info about the areas that we've mentioned today i'm going to add some relevant links to the episode description and a link to the full transcript of today's show but jess thank you so much that was really interesting and thank you so much for taking the time to do this and, and speak to us today oh thank you very much for having me thank you Thanks for joining us this week on What Do You Actually Do? This episode was hosted by myself, Kate Morris, and edited and produced by the Careers and Placements team. If you love this podcast, spread the word and subscribe. Are you eager to get more tips? Follow University of York Careers and Placements on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. All useful links are in this episode description. This has been produced at the University of York Careers and Placements. For more information, visit york.ac.uk forward slash careers.